Welcome to Closer Look. I'm Maria Morgan. Tonight, we invite you to settle in and listen. Listen to white pastor Lance Hahn. He jumped on Zoom to talk with a black pastor about George Floyd, protests, outrage, and racism. He asks his friend, help me understand. With their blessing, Closer Look brings you their conversation. Pastor Lance is the senior leader of Bridgeway Christian Church, north of Sacramento. I have a very special guest with me today. He is my friend, my partner in ministry, and an incredible man of God. So let me introduce Bishop Parnell M. Lovelace Jr. He is the senior pastor of Center of Praise Ministry in Sacramento, California, where he both founded it and served for the last 30 years. He is currently finishing up his PhD work at Cook School of Intercultural Studies. He has already received his doctorate of ministry from Talbot, two master's degrees, both in social work and practical theology from ORU and a host of other degrees. He's been a key leader in both Sacramento, Northern California and across America when it comes to racial and ethnic issues. And my kids consider him Uncle Parnell. So it is so good to be with you, my friend. How are you doing? Thank you, Pastor Lance. It's a joy to be with you. Thank you so much for uh, reaching out to me and uh, allowing me to just have this time to just share and have conversation with you. It really is an honor, and I appreciate it so very much. Oh, well, you know how much I appreciate you. Now, the reason why we're together today is that on May 25th, uh, a beautiful man, George Floyd, was murdered by a police officer, and the resulting outcry for justice has consumed both our nation and spread across the world with protests showing up, even in places like London and Dublin, Ireland. So I wanted to come on to this live broadcast and have you help me sort out what's going on in our nation. So you and I taught a four-week symposium on systemic racism and restoration in the fall of 2018 called Healing an Ethically Wounded Nation. You can always find that free online at faithandculture.church. Parnell, you've partnered with me in a number of race-related issues. I consider you uh, a wise voice of truth and you have insights and experiences that I simply just don't have. The way I see it, this national movement heralded by many various groups has been calling for three things. Number one, justice for George Floyd specifically. Number two, a reformation of law enforcement procedures and tactics that allowed this and other tragic events like it to happen. And number three, an end to systemic racism in America. So first question, buddy, right back to you is, do I have that right? Is that really what the movement is about? Absolutely. I, I think those three areas certainly cover uh, the challenges and the concerns that we're seeing played out today uh, publicly, through the media, through our own experiences, frankly, within our communities. Uh, it is a long-standing issues, but I think what has brought it to what we're talking about today is certainly what has happened to Mr. George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd, to be quite specific. Seeing what has often been said has always happened. It's always been something that has been prevalent within society, sadly, within uh, Black America, and what our experience has been. Uh, but it was captured on video. And it was captured on video for the whole world to see the specifics of it as it was playing out, uh, even to the extent that uh, very, what would be the common response? Well, we just have to wait and see, quote unquote, what the investigation reveals. But uh, it was pretty clear and straightforward what was being seen uh, by those of us who observed that horrific event 
with George Floyd. I, I refuse to see it again because it uh, it's so horrific to watch. But I think uh, it also reminds us that what we're centering around as far as the pain and the hurt is that there is a grieving family. The Floyd family is grieving. Our hearts are going out uh, to that family. And then the second, as you mentioned, uh, the reformation uh, or the reforming uh, community policing within the United States, knowing the long history and how uh, policing even came about and how it was designed and frankly, uh, the historical perspective of its adverse effects uh, on Black people. And then lastly, uh, to address the systemic racism that for nearly now four centuries, uh, America has yet to fully reconcile, to fully understand uh, the implications of bringing uh, people here from their native land. And then once they were here, uh, setting in place policies and setting in place uh, systems and thoughts that, in essence, said that Black people were uh, less than, that they were uh, considered to be less than even human in many instances. So uh, all of these things, uh, yes, uh, and we could probably add more, but I think the three, they certainly do capture what is being presented now as far as a need for change. Um, you and I uh, obviously have had a million conversations uh, behind the scenes, just as as friends. But I want to ask this question for everyone listening in, because I hear this a lot, that not everybody fully understands the reaction. Help us understand what the underlying pain and rage is really about that exploded this recent event. Because as you said, this was not a one-time event. And, and other people will say, well, other people of different ethnicities, you know, white as well, have been killed by police officers. What, what makes this different? There's something, whether it's cultural trauma or whether it is um, uh, a finally we have some validity because it's on camera for every other million events that weren't on camera. Like, help me understand the sadness and rage that it wasn't just about one amazing man being murdered. It actually kept pinging on everything else. So can you dig in a little bit of that with me? Yes. Uh, the, the thing, Lance, that I think that is often missed is the persons behind each of these stories, uh, the rippling effect of how uh, it is torn apart families, it is torn apart communities. Uh, there are people whose sons have been lost, their daughters have been lost, husbands, uh, wives. We, we, we can go on that how the, the personal stories, you know, uh, one of the things as we've looked at, for instance, uh, such uh, presentations such as COVID-19, they often say in order to really personalize the story, uh, they will show the pictures and tell the stories of the people because they are not wanting us to just merely hear that someone has died, but to, uh, and, and in essence, to become sensitive to what is being presented. They will show the stories. They will tell the stories and show the pictures. Well, so it is with each of these uh, incidents and events that have taken place in the lives of Black people that lives have been snuffed out uh, through abusive laws, uh, through in essence, uh, just taking uh, lives out prematurely, young people in particular, and black males 
who are impacted by this. So to personalize it, I, I think we have to go back and not only look at the name uh, George Floyd, you'll notice many times in the protesting or what have you, they will say, say the name, say the person's name, because just to count it as a number or statistic, that person as a statistic, it seems to, again, uh, desensitize. There's, there's, there's no connection. But when you say the person's name, it is acknowledging that they exist. So when we say uh, the name uh, George Floyd, when we say Stefan Clark, when we say Ahmaud Atterbury and other names, uh, when we say Sandra Blonde and, uh, and all of these different ones whose lives have been taken, at the hands of the police, then it now becomes more of a personal story. It becomes something that we have to now, we're forced to talk about it. We're forced to look at a picture. We're forced to look in the eyes of, uh, like the other day, uh, seeing uh, George Floyd's daughter, who's now fatherless. Her father's not here. She will not experience being able to walk down the aisle with her dad. She will not experience uh, being able to present to him her diploma. Now, all of a sudden, the imagery changes because we begin to find out these people have lives and now those lives have ceased. And uh, I think it pushes back to this uh, narrative that is so commonly presented uh, by individuals that I think are attempting to be dismissive of reality, dismissive of what is happening, and in essence embrace this cognitive dissonance of saying, well, I know it's there, but maybe it's not this. Maybe it's not as much this. Uh, to give an example, this uh, narrative that I heard out of the mouth of a believer that stated, in essence, well, I don't understand why all of the emphasis about racism? Why are we talking about it? It seems like George Floyd died a couple of weeks ago. And so why are we still talking about this? Because it has not changed. Because we are still dealing with the same pain and the same issues that, again, have plagued this nation for nearly four centuries and directly adversely impacted Black people. So that's why we're still talking about it. Uh, this idea, well, and I've heard people say this, Christians, uh, evangelical Christians in particular, white evangelical Christians say, well, you know, uh, more white people have been killed by the police than black people. And black people uh, killed black people. There are more black people that have been killed by quote unquote black on black crime. And then there are others who go as far as to say uh, the, the statement, well, all lives matter. I, why are we saying Black Lives Matter? Well, the reality is, is that we're saying Black Lives Matter because we never said, never said that Black Lives only matter. That was something that was added on by a whole nother thinking, a whole nother perspective. We never said that. We just said Black Lives Matter. Surely we know that Black Lives Matter. Surely we know that all people matter. But we've never suggested that we're the only ones that matter. What we're saying is, if we do not look at what is impacting Black people, what is hurting Black people, what has caused Black people, again, to feel uh, afraid to even go out and jog, to even go out and walk in certain communities, uh, to have a man go out to uh, go bird watching and to have a woman approach him in the middle of a park and say such things as, uh, I feel threatened and threatened to pick up the phone and actually pick up the phone and call the police on an individual, 
these things are painful. These things play themselves out. So, yes, it's not just George Floyd. It is uh, causing pain to erupt. It is causing rage to erupt. It is causing a people to feel that in this nation that is supposed to be a nation for all people, hope is deferred. Speaking of putting names, um, you and I at the opening of um, a fun restaurant here in Sacramento uh, was Fixin' Soul Kitchen with former Mayor Johnson. Right, his yeah, restaurant. Kevin Johnson. When yes, when we were at that restaurant, uh, you introduced me to the Clark family who had yes. lost Stefan Clark. And Stevante, his brother, was there. That's right. And Stevante has been actually pretty brilliantly doing a lot of leadership lately here in the Sacramento area. And um, I'm really, really proud of him. Uh, but being able to uh, greet the family, meet the family, smile with the family, be with the family, and understanding that that was a situation that rocked our particular community very personally. And uh, knowing that Stefan Clark was a human being, a man, and that people are now missing him because he, he matters. So I want to turn the, the, the question a little bit more uh, to dig in a little bit. We talked about history um, with law enforcement and certain tactics and behaviors and things like that. This actually happened to be a situation that was directly tied to this law enforcement challenge. You have listened to a lot of different groups speak about what they desire for law enforcement reform. Like what would it even look like? And I understand it's not a monolithic. Everybody has the same idea. I've heard everything from uh, policing no longer is uh, a valid option at all. That's the extreme on one side. And I've heard the whole tougher on crime. Like there's these extremes, right? But I think that there's wisdom in the middle there that um, there are real reforms, practical things that need to happen. Can you give us some ideas on what the viewpoint is on what needs to change or what would be beneficial so that this doesn't keep happening? I would say most specifically, this has to be addressed through various facets, certainly through the political system, I do believe that it's imperative that people uh, do such things as the census and certainly vote in November. We have elections coming up and what have you, but we have uh, some bills that are starting to be presented, particularly here in the state of California. Uh, I believe it's the AB 1196, which would address the uh, carotid restraint uh, bill uh, is being presented by, I believe it's Assemblyman Michael Gibson, as to uh, discourage and actually do away with the carotid uh, restraint that was actually done to George Floyd. Uh, we have Dr. Shirley Weber, who is also in the Assembly, who has presented not only a, an initial policy that did pass in the state of California that said that uh, use of force, it was the use of force bill that said, uh, made the distinction between necessary or reasonable. And uh, for years it was reasonable. And, and now just that one tweak in the word, now being able to say necessary uh, for use of force or deadly force, uh, that may save lives. Just, the, the, again, the application of that. And then there are others. Uh, she's doing some follow-up now uh, to that bill. I, I think it is going to require, when we talk about 
addressing these issues from a larger standpoint uh, to change and bring about reform. Uh, it is going to need to happen in the political aspect. Uh, it is going to need to also happen with, uh, I, I stand on the side of saying policing police, uh, weeding out who the bad police are. Uh, there's no reason uh, that the officer who took the life of George Floyd should have even continued to be on the force given the number of complaints that have been presented concerning him. But again, this is not uncommon. Many times there's no sense of holding these individuals accountable for the views. And I might add, even since George Floyd was murdered, we still are seeing almost daily incidents of uh, Again, the rogue cops or the, the bad cops who are are doing some things and uh, people are now saying we're not going to take that anymore. Uh, there are even some of their peers, other officers who said you're not going to get away with that. anymore." So I think it, it, it plays itself out on so many levels. It is certainly multifaceted uh, politically. Uh, the, the, the dialogue that has to happen, the awareness that needs to take place, and even uh, what you're seeing presented through such things as the uh, protesting that has to take place to bring about change, awareness, change, and then holding us accountable to that. Yeah, that's so good. So like, for example, here in the greater Sacramento region, we happen to have uh, a police chief of Sacramento, uh, Chief Daniel Hahn, who is a, a friend of mine, but he's even closer to you. <laughs> like he's, he's special to us. And he is an African-American man that is trying to lead in a rather strong and beautiful way. Now, I think that what he would probably agree with you wholeheartedly is that the political system informs what he is able to do or not able to that do. And so a lot of times you'll have officers say, you know what, we would love change, Quite frankly, that has to come from above us. Like we have some other things that need to be done first. Um, and at the same time, I think you're right about accountability and pieces like that. Because um, like, for example, I heard from a gentleman in our leadership, our executive leadership team over at our church, who's a retired law enforcement officer. And he was so heartbroken when everything went down. And he said, I feel like what went down was kind of my own family hurting one of my own family because he's law enforcement and he was watching uh, an African-American man be murdered. And he said, I so desperately want something to change. So you have officers asking, I want change. How do I change? So it's all interconnected, right? Yes. So yes. Uh, that, that leads us into another piece here, which is the idea of systemic racism. So personal racism and systemic racism are very different. Personal racism is a certain prejudice and bias that you could say that person is ignorant or that person is mean. But even if all personal racism was removed, we still have a problem in the nation. And that's that systemic racism is way deeper and it started long before we ever got here, meaning you and I. So can you help us understand a little bit on what systemic racism means? If we talk about systems, are we talking about not just law enforcement, right? We're talking about education. We're talking about poverty. We're talking, can you help us a little bit understand what that means? Yeah, yeah, Lance, you, you're hitting it on the head. It is, um, when we talk about systemic racism, it really moves, and I'm going to simplify this, of course, because I think it goes really deep and we 
won't have time to go as deep as it goes, but I think to simplify its progression, I think it, it does start with this personalized implicit biasness that now moves to a social level uh, in which it interacts with others who also begin to uh, assimilate those similar thoughts, uh, whether it be the family, whether it be my children in my living room, whatever the case might be, but it moves beyond my own personal thoughts now to a more social process. And then from there to institutionalized processes that play themselves out in various aspects of the life that, again, adversely affect people of color. And again, I'm going to speak specifically of, of Black people because I'm a Black man. Uh, so it, it impacts uh, education systems. It, uh, I'm a personal uh, experience or one who's experienced that. I remember being labeled the slow learner, the low achiever, and what have you. And I always wondered why when we were talking about slow learning and uh, poor achievements and so forth in elementary school, all of us were Black. And I went to a you know, multicultural uh, elementary school, but everyone that was in the slow learning and the considered to be the underachievers, we were all Black, while all the other kids moved forward. And I experienced that all the way through high school and even, truth be told, some aspects of college. Uh, it plays itself out in the education. It plays itself out in health care. Why is it that we see with COVID-19 that it is such a terrible impact, a disproportionate impact of uh, death that occurs among Black folks who contract the disease. It can't be just because we don't handle disease the same way. It can't be that, you know, uh, merely as some have suggested that we have more health problems. Yeah, we, we have health problems. Other people have health problems and we're given over to that. But I, I, I'm wondering, is it something else that maybe we're afraid to fully address? And that is the access of health care and the provision of health care for people. So it plays itself out in health. It plays itself out economically. We know when we had the housing challenges that took place here, as far as the housing boom and everything just kind of crashed, uh, when they went back and studied the loans that went out, uh, the predatory loans that went out, Black folks were the key ones that were adversely affected by that. So it moves from personal to a more social and then I think, and again, I'm simplifying this, I think it becomes institutionalized in the various uh, agencies or the various systems. Thus, we have systemic racism. Yeah. You know, uh, I know we don't have a whole lot of time left, but I have two final questions for yes. you uh, that you can help me out in. Um, one of them is the issue of protesting. Um, a lot of people say, well, why are you protesting? What does protesting do? And then, well, well, everyone's rioting. Well, what does rioting mean? And then it's, well, there's vandalism and violence. And can you help us understand kind of the historic reason why protesting is actually a necessary piece to the puzzle and why really protesting and rioting are two different things? Um, they can coincide, obviously, but can you tell what the motivation is within the protest? Well, I'll, I'll be straightforward and brief. Uh, protesting is an open dissent, an open opposition towards something that there's a disagreement or a belief that it is not good and it seeks change. 
And uh, protesting is not anything that originated with the Black Lives Matter or originated with Black folks or originated with the civil rights movement. Protesting has been around since the very foundation of our, our nation. In fact, our nation was started based upon protesting, going all the way back uh, to uh, how the, the origins came about for the states. So I think that what happens is that people get it confused. And I'm, I'm going to say this as forthright as I can, depending on who is actually doing the main part of the protesting, who's leading it out, it can be considered to be, oh, that's protesting. But then when you have black faces that are leading it out, then it becomes more a concern of rioting or violence. And again, it's this the same thing that happens when a black man walks into an elevator with a white woman alone and the nervousness or comes to anywhere around. Uh, I heard someone say the other day they had purchased a bike to ride out in uh, Placer County and they were wanting to ride their bike and that they were afraid to ride it. And they shared this with another gentleman who's a friend of mine who's African-American. And they said to him, I'm afraid to ride my bike. He says, why are you afraid to ride your bike? He's, they said, well, because I pulled up to a street corner and a car pulled up next to me and it had black people in it. So this idea, again, of fear that is attached to protesting plays itself out very differently depending upon who's leading the protest. Now, what we see happening in the protesting now, it is a diverse group. I might add, I think very positively, we're seeing the young people who are a big part of that. It is refreshing to see the young people take a part of this and lead out in it because frankly, folks like myself, we're tired. <laughs> we're tired of trying to fight this over and over and over again. So to see the young people picking up the mantle, I personally support it. I personally am very thankful. Now, what I don't support is when it turns into rioting, which is the application of violence to the protests. And now you're seeing destruction. Now, what is happening when you see destruction, the, the, the taking away of property, people hurt in that regard. Uh, at that point, you are now maligning the message. You are taking away what the message is. And what you're seeing happening played out on TV, frankly, a lot of this is not even, not even Black Lives Matter. It's not even uh, the main protesters that are doing what they need to do. What we're seeing played out are those who are taking advantage of it. And it has even been suggested, even the white supremacists that are planting seeds of discord as to bring major discord between the ethnicities of our country. Oh, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. We have had a number of protests uh, here in Sacramento and also in uh, Folsom and some of the surrounding cities. And I've watched some of the most beautiful leadership of young people. Everything was peaceful. Everything was done right. Anyway, I, it was really, really great. Yeah. Um, a final question as we close out on our time. There are so many people, millions observing what's going on and saying, I want to help. So can you just give us anything that we can do if we're not directly involved in something? How do we get involved? What do we do to change some of the systemic racism and reform? I would say keep close to what is happening and stay close and keep talking and don't back off. Don't back off and wait for the next tragedy to happen, to become sensitive to what is taking place and the destruction of people's lives. 
There are a lot of people who grab tissue over the last couple of weeks and say, I'm sad. I've had people reach out to me and say, you know, this just breaks my heart, but I need you to do more than just have your heart broken. I need you to be able to become an ally. Help us. That's really what I'm saying. Help us. Because without your help, we will continue to see these things just go un unchecked. They will go. It'll be a few voices like myself. And like you mentioned, the young people and you mentioned earlier, Stevante Clark, uh, who, who, again, I've seen him take a, a strong role. But there's so many young people and others. Yourself, Pastor Lance, you've taken a strong role of being an ally to the community. We need that. Don't back off. That's that's the main thing I can say to people. If you want to help, stay with us. Stay the course. Uh, let's see this take place so that we can say in the end that we together saw redemption, justice, and empowerment for all people. So good. My friend, it's wonderful to be with you. I, I know that uh, these are very, very difficult and horrible times, and we are together. You and I are allies. Uh, I will continue to stand and follow your leadership on all kinds of stuff. I will be with you. And um, I sure love you, brother. I love you. I and, appreciate you so much. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, everyone, we have exhausted your time. Thank you so much for joining us along uh, on today. And we're going to do our best to continue to advance things forward. If you want to continue to get involved, just stay in connection with Bishop and myself. Um, and that's whether that's through Center of Praise Ministries in Sacramento or whether or not that's through Bridgeway Christian Church or even through Thought Revolution Podcast. Um, we're going to continue to lead you out in ways that we think that Jesus would be proud of. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you to you, Parnell, and I'll Thank see you, you soon. Bye, everyone.